Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. When she was incarcerated in a Chinese prison earlier this year, the Australian journalist Cheng Lei composed a letter which was smuggled out to the media. I miss the sun, she said. I haven't seen a tree in three years. Now she's free, and in a tweet sent from Australia using the X platform, her joy was evident. Trees shimmy from the breeze, she wrote. I can see the entirety of the sky now. Thank you, Aussies. So what led to the decision to free her? And indeed, was there any reason for her to be held in prison in the first place? I'm very pleased that we're joined on the podcast this week by someone who's ideally placed to help us grasp the significance of this case and its diplomatic implications. James Lawrenson is the director of the Australia-China Relations Institute at the University of Technology in Sydney. James, thanks for joining us again. Happy to be here, Duncan. So let's start by looking at the charges which were levelled against Ms Chung. She was working as a broadcast journalist for the Chinese government's English language channel, CGTN. In fact, she was an anchor on one of its programmes. So effectively, she was trusted to explain the Chinese government's position on TV shows, which were shown around the world. Then she was charged with illegally supplying state secrets overseas. What do you make of those allegations? Yeah, look, I think the first thing to say is that the charges levelled back in February 2021 um, have been vague from then right up un until now. There's no information I am aware of in the public realm around even the broad contours of what those quote-unquote state secrets might have been. This past week, the Ministry of State Security issued a short statement alluding to her transmitting some information to a foreign agency she obtained during the course of her employment at CGTN. Um, but it's not at all clear to me what a CGTN anchor, um, information a CGTN anchor would obtain that relates to China's national security. And I don't think the Australian government is any better informed. The Australian ambassador was not permitted entry to her trial in March 2022. Um, and statements from consecutive Australian foreign ministers have consistently said that the charges lacked any detail. Probably the second thing I'd say is that I don't think you can disconnect the allegations levelled at Chung Lei from the context that led up to them. I mean, Chung Lei was taken into custody way back in August 2020, less than two months earlier. Australia's intelligence agencies had raided the homes of a number of Chinese journalists in Australia. Um, and seize their electronic devices. And more broadly, political relations between Canberra and Beijing started 2020 in very ordinary shape, but only got worse from there. So it's hard to escape an assessment that there wasn't an element of tit for tat here um, and, and politics being a factor as well. Well, thank you, James. That's very useful background. Now, there were some characteristics to this case which were distinctly Chinese. Ms Chung was held at what was termed uh, a residential surveillance at dedicated facility. That's a euphemism for a particular kind of prison um, in which people have virtually no contact with the outside world. And also, I noticed another phrase in the reporting of this case, which was on the website of uh, the Australian channel ABC. I'll read it to you. It said, the Chinese government 
said she truthfully confessed the facts of the crime, voluntarily admitted guilt and accepted punishment. What's been going on? Look, that seems to me to be a clear attempt by the Chinese authorities to send the message um, that they were just following a standard judicial process here. They had good reason to detain her, put her on trial, find her guilty, and then sentence her accordingly. Now, there's simply no way to assess that claim because the details of the charges leveled at her were never elaborated on. But as I said before, I think there are good reasons to be sceptical that this was just a straightforward case of, you know, Chung Lei breaking a Chinese law that is applied in some uni uniform way. But I'll also just add that when she returned to Melbourne, our Prime Minister and Foreign Minister issued a formal statement that included also an interesting sentence, quote, they said, quote, her release follows the completion of judicial processes in China, close quote. So they were sending a signal back to Beijing that they were playing along, you know, with this legal framing. Now, some might criticise them for that. I wouldn't. Um, Foreign Minister Penny Wong has made previous statements making clear that the Australian government didn't think her case was being handled transparently, humanely or with procedural fairness. So that was already on the public record. Meanwhile, we have another Australian um, in China that Canberra is also trying to get released. So you can make a good case, I think, that the Prime Minister and Foreign Minister are engaging in some pretty considered, pragmatic and quite possibly um, very smart diplomacy here. Well, indeed, there was a lot of uh, carefully chosen diplomatic language. But do you think that actually Lei Chung's detention caused a lot of friction between Canberra and Beijing? I do. And look, when the Albanese government came to power in uh, May 2022, the problems in the relationship came in three buckets. There was first zero senior political dialogue that had completely broken down. There are a number of trade disruptions affecting around a dozen Australian exports. And then there were the detained Australians. Now, all three caused frictions, but the detained Australians was the one area where no progress had been made until this week. Um, I also think Chung Lei's case didn't just cause friction between Canberra and Beijing. You know, she's a mother with two young children, and she's very well known in the Australian China, Australia China corridor more broadly, beyond official circles, um, given her role at CGTN focusing on business issues. But it wasn't just officials from the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade raising her case with their interlocutors in China. I mean, I can tell you in every meeting I had as an academic with a Chinese official over the last few years, I've raised her case, and not just academia, business people too. I mean, really, hats off, I think, to Australian business leaders um, and organisations like the Australia-China Business Council, because I know for a fact that they also constantly raised her case. So Beijing would have had a very clear message. They would have received a very clear message that this wasn't just causing friction in the relationship um, with Canberra, but it was causing friction with the Australia-China relationship more broadly. Now, you mentioned uh, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese. Um, when he's been speaking to the press, he hasn't given very much away about what led to Ms Chung's release. But he implied, as we were talking about, that it was all down to quiet diplomacy. And yet I can't help but wonder whether a deal was struck. And I say that because it's not unusual for governments to do what are termed spy swaps. You release one of our agents and we'll let one or two of yours go. Now. 
I'm not, of course, saying that Ms Chung was a spy and her family and supporters have always maintained her innocence. But do you think that there might have been some horse trading going on? Look, I'm not aware of any horse trading. And frankly, I don't really see continuing to keep someone like Chung Lei locked up um, was a source of leverage for Beijing. I mean, her ongoing detention was poisoning relations with Australia. And as I said, that's well beyond Canberra. Um, so it was actually harming China's or Beijing's ability to advance its interests in Australia. I think that was well understood in the Chinese embassy in Canberra. Um, the Chinese ambassador himself has said publicly that he was striving to at least improve the conditions in which Cheng Lei was being held. And every indication I have, based on my own personal interactions with the ambassador, was that, you know, he's a, he's a Good faith actor, and, and no doubt in part because he recognised that this case was a stumbling block, uh, making it harder for him to do his job. Now, there's another case I'd like to talk to you about, James. Can you tell us something about the situation facing Dr Yang Hengjun, another Australian who's been detained in China? Yeah, Dr. Young is actually an alumnus of um, the University of Technology, Sydney, uh, UTS, which is where I, I work. Um, look, he was detained in January 2019 and um, remains detained. There are similarities in Dr. Young's case and Chung Lei's case. Both were Australians that were born in China. Um, both were accused of, you know, vague national security violations. Both had their trials um, several years ago and then had their verdicts delayed multiple times. There are differences as well. Chung Lei's case always seemed to me to have a clearer tit-for-tat element to it. And their backgrounds were quite different too. You know, before his detention, Dr. Young was more well known for being publicly critical of the Chinese government, quite a contrast to Chung Lei, who, who worked at CGTN. Um, and, and whereas Chung Lei moved to Australia when she was just 10, Dr. Young began his career in China, um, working for the Ministry of State Security, in fact, before then coming to Australia to do a PhD. So look, that difference in background doesn't mean Dr. Young is any more or less innocent than Chung Lei, but it does make trying to understand what might be driving the Chinese authorities um, a bit more complicated. And perhaps, perhaps it might explain why Beijing is taking an even harder line in his case. Well, let's round things off by talking about the diplomatic situation. The Chinese ambassador to Australia has been talking about what he sees as positive momentum in bilateral relations and the possibility of a pressing the reset button? What's your view? Yeah, no reset in the sense of going back to, and I remember this well, the sunny optimism of 2015 and the vast um, possibilities that were being talked about then. I mean, China has changed and Australia has changed too, to be, to be frank, partly in response to China's change, but also, you know, partly in response to domestic factors and, and developments in the United States and, and, and the broader region. Fundamentally, the difference between the regional order that Canberra wants and the regional order that Beijing wants has widened. Um, Canberra wants a more prominent role for the United States, and it's hard to see that gap closing again in the foreseeable future. That said, there has been a reset 
I think, in the approach now being taken to managing the relationship um, on both sides. Both sides are now saying they want to uh, focus on areas of mutual interest and benefit and handle their differences with calm and professional diplomacy um, rather than pulling out the megaphone. Well, that is very much the formula struck between Prime Minister John Howard and President Jung Zemin um, back in the 1990s. Um, which incidentally allowed the Australia-China relationship to move beyond an earlier period of tension in official ties. So perhaps a reset in the approach being taken to managing the relationship, but not a fundamental um, reset in the, uh, the possibilities being imagined for the relationship itself. Well, thank you, James, for helping us look behind the headlines of this significant case. That was Professor James Lawrenson, Director of the Australia-China Relations Institute at the University of Technology in Sydney. This podcast is produced by the SOAS China Institute in London, and you can find out more about our courses and research on our website, soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here on the China in Context podcast team. Mm-hmm.